Hello, this is Leslie Groffentenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today, I'm speaking with entertainment lawyer Gordon Firemark. Mr. Farmark is the host of Entertainment Law Update, an awesome podcast with great discussions about interesting entertainment law cases, and the author of the podcast, the blog, and New Media's Producers Legal Survival Guide. In this episode, we discuss what it means to call oneself an entertainment lawyer, how to become an entertainment lawyer, and advice for burgeoning entertainment lawyers. And being an entertainment law geek that I am, I ask Mr. Farmark to walk me through a current legal issue in entertainment law. Oh, and one more thing. You may hear my phone ringing in the background. That, dear law students, is a teachable moment. Have a checklist and make sure everything is in order before entering an important meeting or podcast. And here's something positive to listen for. Mr. Firemark has made the generous offer that he's looking for interns. Listen to the end of the podcast for details. Before we begin, I want to ask you for my familiar favor. Remember, all of our podcasts are free, and all that we ask is that you take a few seconds to follow Lord of Fact or subscribe to Lord of Fact and rate and review us. If you're listening to Law to Fact, chances are at some point you'll be taking the bar exam. Well, getting ready for the bar exam means you'll need to choose the study program that's right for you. Kaplan Bar Review will get you ready to take on test day with confidence by offering $100 off live and on-demand bar review with offer code LESLIE100. Visit www.kaplanbarreview.com today to sign up. And here's my discussion with Gordon Firemark. Thanks so much for joining me. I am thrilled to have you here. Um, I listened to your podcast, Entertainment Law Update. But I'm going to ask you the most important question, and the question I ask by get asked by many students, which is, how do I become an entertainment lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> and we both laugh. <laughs> the dumb luck, right? <laughs> no. Um, I think it's, it's like anything. You have to really uh, set your mind to it and focus and have the intention in every move that you make. Uh, for me, it was, you know, law was an afterthought. I, I was in the entertainment industry working as a television producer when the Writers Guild went on strike in the late mm. 80s. And that was my impetus to go to law school, figuring that, well, this will be a set of skills that will serve me well as a producer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't all that smart of me because you go to law school, you incur a lot of law school loan debt, and then you pretty much have to practice law to be able to pay the, <laughs> the bills. <laughs> um, and interestingly, when I thought that getting the law degree would maybe help me be a little strike proof for the next time there was a strike. And um, in fact, when the Writers Guild or the actors go on strike here in Hollywood, the lawyers take a, a little bit of a vacation, essentially. Oh, yeah, that's interesting, yeah, because no one can hire you anymore, I guess. Right. No, one's, no one's making money. That's interesting, but, yeah. Yeah, but to answer, the, I mean, the, the real question is, you know, in while you're in law school or prepping for law school, is the, the right time to start, um, you know, paying attention to the industry, reading the trades, understanding the, the machinations of everything that goes on and who the people are. Uh, who the big players in the industry are and sort of you know, trying to predict the future a little bit and anticipate who they're going to be five years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and working network, building a network. If you're in law school and you can find an externship in a uh, an entertainment company or a talent agency or, you know, something like that, um, that's a great way to build some experience, but also to start to get to know some people who, you know, in all likelihood will change jobs here and there and and they'll expand your network by with their movements and um you know you, you you meet people you get to know them you keep in touch you show them that you do great work of course and uh but it, it is in a sense it's who you know and wow. so you got to 
get to know people. Right. Get to, right. Exactly. And then that's the beauty of LinkedIn too, is that you can kind of reach out to some people and get to, you don't have to, in other words, yeah. it doesn't have to be your father's best friend's sister's mother's brother. Right. Social networking is, is a great uh, tool, but I don't think there's any excuse, uh, excuse me, any substitute for getting out from behind your desk and meeting people face to face. So they really know who you are. You have to build just like marketing as a lawyer, you have to build the know, like, and trust factors with the people that you are interacting so that they will think of you when the time comes to hire or, or retain a lawyer or whatever. So, you know, and, and that leads me to the other big question, which is, what does it mean to be an entertainment lawyer? I teach contracts, so I know that you can read legal documents, but yeah. what does it really mean to be an entertainment lawyer? Entertainment law is kind of like a survey course in the law. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's um, you know, we, we do a lot of work with contracts and copyrights really are, I would say, the, the raw materials that everything entertainment uh, builds and creates. And so we have to really understand copyright and intellectual property as an overview, but specifically copyrights, trademarks. There's a little bit of trade secrecy in there, but yeah, we deal with contracts. Uh, we don't deal with real property too much, <laughs> although every once in a while someone's buying a building or something. Um, but if you're, if you're in an, uh, excuse me, if you're in a community property jurisdiction, then you've got to understand how the deals you make might have ramifications with a spouse, a soon-to-be ex-spouse, or a recently ex-spouse. <laughs> um, it, it's amazing how often that comes up, but we deal with issues around tax law. We deal with issues around business entities. Here in California, we're dealing with an interesting one around labor and employment and the classification of a person as an independent contractor versus an employee. And our legislature has just passed a uh, a difficult law that is basically making it much harder for anybody to be deemed an independent contractor. And so that takes out the whole, you know, what we do for our clients who are entertainers and high earners in this industry is set up loan out companies to be their employer and loan their services to the end user of, you know, the studio or the, the production company that's making the movie or whatever. And this new law has basically wiped out the need for or the, or the value of having those loan out companies. We're still waiting to see what happens. Being an entertainment lawyer is basically a lawyer who has a client that's in the entertainment industry. It can be an individual, it can be a record company, it can be yeah. a television studio. As long as you kind of have that nexus, then you fall under the umbrella of entertainment lawyer. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say that being an entertainment lawyer is being a business lawyer in a crazy business with crazy people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> got it. And so speak a little bit about the statute in... Um, California, because a lot of um, our listeners are new <clears throat> law students. They're thinking about going to law school. Um, some are second and third year, but I think it's always interesting to kind of talk about an area of the law. Um, yeah. So can you explain that in a little more detail, what's going on in California? I don't even know what a loan out company is. I have to be okay. So, well, okay. So I'll start at the beginning then. Okay. A loan out company is essentially a personal services corporation or limited liability company that's been set up by an individual worker in the industry to essentially have the exclusive right to employ that person. So if you want to hire Tom Hanks, you don't hire Tom Hanks. You go make a contract with Playtone, his company, where Playtone is promising to lend you Tom's services. Okay, and why do you do that? Well, for Tom, it's valuable because he can use that uh, entity as a tax, uh, get, get some tax relief as a result of that, as well as use it in the planning of his um, um you know, retirements and investments and things like that. The company can take deductions that an individual can't. Okay. When you pay, when you're being paid lots and lots of money in 
spurts, you know, Got here it. and there. It's a way of leveling off his personal income so that he's paying a lower personal income tax and the corporate tax rate is lower than the, than the bracket that he would be in as an individual. And I, I, Tom's not a client of mine. I'm just Wait, using him as an example. Let's call him um, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, but when, but so, so it levels his personal income tax and even you can also spread out earnings um, differently with a, and I'm not a tax lawyer, but this is one of the advantages. So, um, and so then yeah. Okay. So the, the company is responsible for his benefits and those kinds of things. And the entity that's hiring or, or that's borrowing his services is paying a single fee without pension, health and welfare fringes to the unions and those kinds of things. That's all being handled by his company. So, so, all right. So, so I want to hire Tom for my movie, Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. neighborhood. And instead of hiring him, yep. I go to his company Playtone and I yep. say, we would like to contract with you Playtone, right? We'll pay yep. you X amount of dollars. And in exchange consideration in exchange, mm-hmm. you're going to give us Tom Hanks and he's going to be the actor that's going to yep. star in the show. Yeah. For Great. the services of Mr. Hanks. And then, and then because this is now a third-party beneficiary contract, Tom would have to sign a, an inducement letter to the employer, the, the end user of the services saying, yes, I understand that my company is doing this and I promise to abide by the terms of that contract. So, <laughs> so <laughs> right. what's happened? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So is, now what's happened? Well, the, the state has for a while recognized that they're probably sustaining a little bit of a tax loss. Uh, tax revenue loss as a result of these things. But it's been going on, this has been going on for 40 or 50 years, people doing these companies. Uh, But now you've got the Ubers and the Lyfts and the Postmates and the, you know, beyond menu, all these food delivery services and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, ride sharing services where the company is really, you know, employing that driver but the driver is being treated as an being classified as an independent contractor. So the company is not withholding any taxes, not taking any responsibility for liability or insurance and any of those kinds of things. So the state says now it's time we have to we have to regulate this. It's not fair to those drivers that they should be acting like and, and working like employees, but being treated like independent contractors. And you know, that's a, a laudable goal. But in this particular case, the net has caught a lot of the um these entertainer, entertainer, entertainers, sorry, rented lips or something today. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, the, you know, it's caught a lot of these entertainers and, and professionals that have worked in this way for years in the net. Um, an example might be a stand-up comic who goes and plays five minutes at a at a comedy club. Well, now the comedy club has to put him on payroll, right? You for the five-minute performance. So, so you know, you and the, keep... the rock band that plays clubs. All that kind of thing. Go ahead. Um, but but here's the thing that you know what's so interesting. So I read about the legislation in California vis-a-vis Uber yeah. and Lyft. It's been all over the paper. Yeah. But I never thought of how it applied to entertainers. And that's another thing about lawyering is that there could be something that seems that it's so targeted to one sector, mm-hmm. but you've got to be think about how it involves your own client. Yeah, it's the law of unintended consequences. So we really, we really do have to be uh, mindful of that. And and it's interesting because in the entertainment industry, we weren't really talking. No, none of us that do this stuff were thinking about this up until the week that the legislature was voting on it. And then it was like our hair was on fire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was sort of too late to do much about it. But it's interesting that the, none of the entertainment labor unions or or trade associations really lobbied against this. 
because everybody assumed, oh, you know, the folks in Sacramento know that this is the state's second largest export, or maybe even the largest export. And if you mess with the entertainment industry, it's going to move somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Canada. Um, well, and right, there's been a lot of, uh, uh, you know, other jurisdictions taking offering tax incentives and things like that. We've been dealing with this concept of runaway production for a while. Mm-hmm. This kind of thing isn't going to help. Right. So that's so I, interesting. I hope that, yeah, I, it's my hope that the legislature will catch up with us in a little bit and <laughs> and plug these loopholes. Yeah, that's that, and and that's important to know too. And that's something as an attorney you can do too, is you can lobby. I mean, not you, but you know, you're, if you work for a yeah. lobby organization. Um, okay, great. Well, I do. I love, love, love your um, podcast that you do with Tamara Bennett, Entertainment Law Update. And what I love about it is that you talk about real cases. But we're, so I'll tell you some of the stories that we were looking at that we didn't actually include. Um, you know, there was that whole brouhaha around the Taco Tuesday trademark for um, uh, LeBron James was trying to register Taco right. Tuesday. Right. And, and so, you know, we looked at that case. We lo- we're looking at cases involving celebrities using paparazzi photographs of the celebrity in their Instagram or their, their social media feed. Didn't somebody want to trademark the? Wasn't that? Yes, that's another one that's going through um, or that, that's in the in the pipeline. Um, I don't believe we've talked about that on the show. We sort of wait to see, uh, you know, what the administrative agency is going to do or the courts are going to do with the case so that we have something to talk about right? without, you know, purely speculating. So, um, so, and it's important for students to listen to your podcast. I listen to your podcast all the time because not only does it update me on entertainment law, which is something I'm interested in, hmm. but it gives me a chance to hear how real life attorneys are thinking about the law. And so that's one of the reasons I I actually um, promote it with my students in the classroom is because I think it's important to your legal education, not just to learn the law, but to see how lawyers who are engaged in the practice of law think about it. And so podcasts like yours are really of value. Yeah, it's a little deeper dive than you what you get from just reading advance sheets or or even, you know, the, the legal journals and newspapers and things like that. We're, you know, she and I are batting it around and, and you know, in a, in a lighthearted way sort of thing. What if this, what if that? And that's kind of the fun part of it. Yeah, that's the most fun. Has, yeah. Have you ever seen like an appellate court listen to what you had to say? You know, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and, and I think we're a little bit careful not to try to influence, you know, take a side of, you know, if something's, well, we'll often say we think this is wrong or we think this is badly decided, um, which you wouldn't do if you were one of the lawyers <laughs> right. in the case. Right. Uh, but. Um, I, I do know of a, a situation or two where one of the lawyers re- representing a party on appeal has heard something we said and allowed that, you know, made that a part of his or her brief and argument to the appellate court. Whether the appellate court followed our, you know, it was persuaded by our thinking or not, I don't know. <laughs> so. No, that's wonderful. You know, it's interesting. Before this, I used to have a blog, a social media blog, mm-hmm. and I would blog about cases. And I was shocked about the feedback that I got from parties to those cases. So I write my opinion on the case and then people who were parties to the case would be like, no, you got this wrong. I, you know, this is how I was thinking. I don't know if you've had that experience. Yeah. People set up Google searches to, you know, anytime their name comes up or anytime the case they're, they're involved in comes up in the, in the press or whatever they, they find it. And so, yeah, our show notes will often reflect the, those keyword searches and, and we'll hear from people. Um, oftentimes it's, uh, for us, it's the lawyers in the case that will call us or email us and say, you got it wrong or 
let me clarify. That's usually the more <laughs> diplomatic <laughs> approach. Let's clarify this. Um, and we, we'll do a correction if we need to. We're happy to admit that we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sign of a good lawyer. Um, so let's get back to speaking to law students. One of the, you know, I, I guess my question to you is, in addition to learning the law, in addition to studying for um, being an entertainment lawyer, how important is social media, the use of social media? You're, you know, you're using your podcast, I think, to leverage your um, client base, if that's fair to say. So what would you tell young attorneys about engaging in things like doing podcasts or, or blogs or what have you? Well, I am an early adopter. I started blogging in, before the term blog had actually been coined. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, that's me being a geek more than anything else. Um, I, I'm, I'm a strong advocate. I think that, you know, this is how we communicate nowadays. People reach each other with their messages through Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and, and YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I'm a, I'm a proponent of using all of those, but you have to do it carefully and thoughtfully. One of the things I'm, that troubles me, I'm seeing young people using, um, these, these uh, social services to, you know, uh, sort of narrate their whole lives. And oftentimes there are things that they might not want a prospective employer or a prospective client to see. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, if, if it, once it's out there, it's hard to unring a bell. So you got to be mindful about what you post publicly. And if you're going to be a lawyer, um, you know, there, there's a certain expectation that society has of what professionals, how they behave both when they're on camera and off, essentially. And uh, so, you know, that, that, those photos of you at the party with your friends, uh, <laughs> you know, all with, with the beers in the hands, you know, it's once in a while, that kind of thing is okay. But if it, if it gets to be your whole, who your whole existence looks to be on social media, it could be a problem. So I would say, yeah, early on is the time to start thinking about that and posting thoughtful material and, and curating content. Even if you're not writing stuff of your own, it's a great time to be posting. Say, this is what I am paying attention to, and these are issues that people should be looking at. And by being a curator, some of that authority starts to rub off on you. And that, that can be very valuable. I mean, that's wonderful advice. And, you know, even if it's a tweet about a case that you're thinking about, and if you mm -hmm. do want to be an entertainment lawyer, tweet about an entertainment law case, even if it's Absolutely. once a month, because then when they, because employers look at everything these days. Yeah. I mean, so, all right. So, so looking back on your law school experience, yep. now that you have the kind of practice that is so desirable by so many, what would be a piece of advice you'd give your law school self? to help you reach the goals you reached, you've reached? Um, that's a great, difficult question. <laughs> um, I think I, I would take the, I would, I would give the advice of building my network sooner. I, I didn't start until sort of late in my second year of law school on that. And, um, I, you know, I had been in the entertainment industry a little bit before law school. So I, you know, kind of knew a few people and that, that was sort of how my practice got off the ground. But um, I think, you know, the network was really key and uh, building solid relationships with other uh, more senior lawyers who could refer me business when I went out on my own and, and who could coach me and advise me. Um, you know, I mean, that, that is sort of what I did. I just wish I'd done a bit more of it. Um, what else? My entertainment law self. Uh, I wish I'd taken a tax law class, actually. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know that next week's podcast, although it'll play before we talk, is the top ten reasons to take a tax class because people no don't take. Yeah, this will touch everything you do. 
Yep. So there you go. That's a good endorsement. That's funny. That's that's <laughs> I have a, that's coming up on a lot of facts. Awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. That's that's great advice. Anything else you want to share with our students? Well, you know, I, listen to my show. Yes. And and <laughs> how can they find your entertainment law update? And it's on all the platforms. It's on all the platforms, but uh, and and send us feedback. Entertainmentlawupdate.com. We've got a little little voice widget or you can email us at uh, entertainmentlawupdate at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from people if you are um, interested in in learning more about what we do on the show we are always looking for good people to help us uh, it's a volunteer position but uh, we have a team of basically interns who help us uh, identify and write the stories that we talk about on the show so uh, reach out and let us know if you'd like to become a part of it and we'll we'll, we'll be glad to look at you um I don't know. That's it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh my gosh. That's what a wonderful offer. And I'm certain students will take you up on it. And I will put in my liner notes, um, the way to get in touch with you too. So people can reach out to you. Uh, well, thank you so much. I mean, again, this is, I would say that I've been teaching for more years than I will admit. I taught entertainment law a couple of times. Um, but the number one question is how do I become an entertainment lawyer? So you have helped answer that. And I think the answer is the ball's in your court. That's sports law analogy. But <laughs> um, so thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you. So that's my discussion with Gordon Firemark. Hope you enjoyed it. You can listen to Gordon's podcast, Entertainment Law Update, on most podcast platforms and read his blog, Entertainment Law Update, at entertainmentlawupdate.com. And I encourage those of you who are serious about becoming an entertainment lawyer to take Gordon up on his offer of an unpaid internship. It's great for the resume and even better for you to decide whether entertainment law is really for you. You can reach Gordon through the Entertainment Law Update blog site. Once again, a reminder that Kaplan Bar Review is offering you $100 off their live and on-demand bar review program. Just use Leslie100 as your code when you sign on at www.kaplanbarreview.com. And once again, it's time for my familiar plea. It is so helpful to us if you rate us, if you give us feedback, if you subscribe, or if you reach out to us on any of the social media platforms. You can find us at Lot of Fact on Twitter and Instagram. We have a Facebook page, and we're also on LinkedIn. If you have a particular topic on which you'd like us to talk, or a professor with whom you'd like us to speak, email us at lawtofact.gmail.com or tweet us at lawtofact, and we'll try and take care of that too. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. And have a nice day.